Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. Today's podcast is part two of our sermon series entitled, How to Hug a Vampire. Please enjoy. Well, like I said, welcome to week two of How to Hug a Vampire. We, uh, we, we go beyond part one, which is, again, dealing with the, the little bit of vampire that's in all of us and realizing that without some humility in our own heart and realizing that not only do vampires suck the life out of us, but sometimes I suck too, that, that without recognizing that, I can't do anything else right because I can't judge properly if that's not in my heart. I can't set proper boundaries. I can't forgive people that need to be. I can't do that if there's not a little bit of humility in my own heart. And so today we, we kind of cross that threshold into how do you deal with social vampires? Next week, we'll actually get into what it looks like when you deal with the vampires that are a little bit closer to you, the family members, the, the ones that are so close, you kind of can't avoid them and you can't get totally away. What do you do with them? But today, how many of you run into certain social situations where somebody just rubs you wrong? Somebody just makes you mad. Somebody is rude. Somebody is offensive and they do certain things to you because our immediate response is usually to make a snap judgment about what they did, who they are. And then that all alters the dynamic of the relationship going forward. Before we begin, bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, we pray that your wisdom would be here, Lord God, that you would help us to see clearly as you see, so that, God, we can live as you would have us to live, Lord God. Help us to know what it means to judge and to hopefully judge at the right time and to judge accurately and figure out what that all means, God. Speak to us today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Everybody say judge not. Did you know that... that you can actually study things out with the level of television and internet and information that's out there that you can actually track trends closer now than you could before. And in times past, uh, there was the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. Does anybody want to take a gander of what they think the most quoted verse was in, in terms of it, whether... It's from John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, and that's a good one. Do you know that that is actually not the most quoted verse in the Bible anymore? But rather the verse, judge not, is now the most quoted verse. In all of pop culture, in writing, in anything that can be tracked via the television or internet or radio, it's judge not. Which I find fascinating thing because I think what that means is now we just all feel guilty and we're trying to get everybody else off our back. You know what I'm talking about? We used to be all about Jesus loving us, but now we're like, hey, look, don't judge me. Judge not. Remember what Jesus said, don't judge me. Which means I'm out acting crazy. And you're calling out my junk. And rather than just being honest enough about my junk or confessing my stuff or dealing with my issues, it's just, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you to judge? And Christians are notorious for being some of the best judges out there, aren't they? Let's be honest. Some of us have left church because of that. Some of us don't. We don't. We just don't like it. And can I, I'll give you an amen. I don't like them either. I don't like arrogant judgmental, self-righteous people. They're some of the most annoying people in the world to be around. I'd, I'd rather be around most anybody else than that right there. And because in many circles, Christians have a stereotype that is mostly and somewhat accurate of being good at judging. You know why? It's because we've made an art of it. We have different moves. Can I share with you what some of those moves are? I'm going to give you four of the best judging moves. Don't look at your neighbor if they pulled these on you. Are you ready? There's the I used to move. Anybody familiar with this? Like you could be out at a bar and, or in a restaurant and then like somebody orders a drink and you don't really like that and they're having a glass of wine and they're having a beer. And like, hey, do you drink? Would you like a beer? Like, no, no, no. You know, I used to do that. And then I became a Christian. You know, I used to do that and then I started living right. 
You know, I used to do that, and then I had some holiness as a Christian. And, you know, you have this, the I used to move. Okay, let me give you another one. It's, it's got quiet in here. Um, there's the I'm going to go with God move. Are you familiar with this one? You're like, you know, your friend and you were discussing, like, maybe who you should date or who whatever, or maybe a decision you're going to make, and you're like, well, you know, you can do that if you want to, but I'm going to go with God on this one. Which is in essence saying, you're wrong and sinful, and I'm holy and right, and I'm going with God. I'm, I'm with God on this one. There's the, this is a trickier one. This is definitely a religious church person one. There's what I call the half and half move. It's where you make a half a compliment followed up with half of a, a criticism. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you, you got a preacher that you really, really like to watch on TV or whatever, and then your friend goes, oh yeah, he's great. You know, unless you really like learning about the Bible, and then, you know. So it's going to have a half and half move. Are you familiar with the half and half move? Last, last thought. There's just the flat out, I can't believe. You, you lead with this, right? You're like, I can't believe she's wearing that. I can't believe he's doing that. I can't believe she said that. I can't, you just open with a good, I can't believe. And these are your judging ninja moves. Are you, are you, are you okay, good. Those. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, this is the, again, it's the most quoted, but I gotta be honest, I think it's one of the most confused ones too. He says these words, do not judge. This is Matthew 7, 1. Or you too will be judged. But then he flips it up. Because he just said don't, but then he said when you do, this is what's gonna happen. So he goes, for in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure, everybody say the measure. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus starts off by saying, judge not, or you're going to be judged. But here's the deal. You're going to judge. So when you judge, make sure that you understand the measure and the weight in which you judge is how it will be measured back to you. And then he gets, I don't want to read it all. We read a little bit of it last week. But he goes on to say, why do you try to deal with the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log jammed up in yours? First, deal with the log in your own eye. Then you will be able to deal with the speck in theirs. Now, here's what I find fascinating. He starts with don't judge, but he says, well, actually, you kind of have to judge. So when you do it, just understand there's measuring involved. Because here's what's going to happen is, is you're going to take the log out of your eye, and then you actually do need to deal with the speck in theirs. Do you see the... The, the confusion that begins to take place here, because depending on who you talk to, you can talk to hyper-liberal people like, oh, no, no, we're just not to judge. We shouldn't judge anything. Well, that's not true. Some things are right. Some things are wrong. We need to make a determination on which one is which, don't we? And this is where we find some of the confusion is that when you look at the Hebrew language and how Jesus spoke, the word judge had two different ways of interpreting it. One of the ways was to simply say uh, to judge harshly or condemn, and the other way was, in essence, to say to discern a thing. Do we see the difference? Sometimes you got to discern a thing. Sometimes are wrong. Sometimes things are unwise. Sometimes things are just stupid. And you got to discern. That's not being hard. If somebody is acting a certain way or doing, let's say, doing a certain illegal thing, and we say, wow, they did that. That's not, don't judge. No, they really did steal. We should call that what it is. That's stealing. Now, here's the reality of it. So let's back up. So Jesus says, don't judge. He goes, because when you do, you need to make sure that you measure. Everybody say the measure. This is a Hebrew concept. This is a Jewish thought and a Jewish idea. Because 120 years before Jesus, there's this guy who basically says the same thing. His name's Rabbi. I can't say his name, but he says these words. He says, judge each person with the scales weighted in their favor. Exact same concept. 
How many know that scales are a symbolism of judgment? Like in the Greek world, the symbol of judgment is a a woman that's blindfolded holding what? Scales. We still see that in our courtrooms. That's, that's a kind of modern thing. Even in the Hebrew culture, one of the oldest books of the Bible, considered possibly the oldest written book of the Bible, is the book of Job. In the book of Job, he even uses the same concept. He goes, God, weigh me with honest scales and know that I'm blameless. So the idea of scale, see, in the marketplace, in the ancient marketplace, they didn't have credit card machines. I know y'all knew that, but I just, they didn't have the shook, shook things. They didn't have... How many of y'all remember those before the swipe? You did the shook, shook. They didn't have any of that. They didn't have dollars the way we had. And what they had was scales. And literally what they would do is, is they would pour a measure of grain or whatever you were buying on a scale. And then you would put your money in that same scale. And it was set to an exact balance to where you were paying for an equal amount of what it was worth. But if you were a wise shopkeeper and a generous shopkeeper, what you would do is, is you would sprinkle just a little bit more so that you would tip the scales in their favor. Why? Because you wanted to bless your customer. You wanted return customers. You wanted to be known as being a generous shopkeeper. And basically, Jesus is saying, I want you to live the same way. I want you to recognize that when you dish out judgment, I want you to dish it out favorably. I want you to be generous with your judgment. Because how many know when it comes to your mess-ups, your vampire moments, your screw-ups, your letdowns, you want people to do what? You want people to judge you favorably. This is like the golden rule of judging, isn't it? Remember the golden rule? Come on, Jesus taught it and Mama taught it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Judging is the same way. It's the judging golden rule. Judge others in the same way that you would want them to judge you. Now, here's what I know about you. You always want people to judge you favorably. You always want people to give you what? The benefit of the doubt. We all want to live with that. There's an old parable I want to read to you, and I want you to to capture this. I just want you to listen as I read it. It's an old parable, and it goes like this. A man worked on a farm for three years. On the eve of the Day of Atonement, he went to his employer and asked for his wages to take home to his wife and children. The farm owner said to him, I have no money to give you. So the farmhand protested and said, well, then give me some of your crops that I helped you to grow. And the farmer replied, said, I have none. So then the worker cried and said, well, then give me some of the sheep that I helped you raise. The farmer shrugged and said that he had nothing that he could give him. So the farmhand gathered up his belongings and went home with a sorrowful heart. After the holidays, the employer came to the farmhand's house with all his wages, along with three full carts of extra gifts. They had dinner together. They ate. And the farm owner finally asked him, he goes, when I told you that I had no money, what did you suspect of me? The guy said, well, I I thought you had seen a bargain and you used all your cash just to buy it. He goes, and what did you think when I said I had no crops? He said, I thought perhaps they were all leased to others. And what did you think when I said I had no animals? He goes, "I, I thought maybe you dedicated that to the temple. And the farmer answered and said, it was just this way. He said, my son wouldn't study the scriptures. And the day you came to me, I'd rashly dedicated all my possessions to God. But just a couple of days ago, I was absolved of my vow so that now I can pay you. And as for you, just as you have judged me favorably, may the Lord judge you favorably. This is what you and I all want, isn't it? This is the principle. The principle of the story is this, is that when we judge other people, this is the goal, is that we imagine the best possible motive for someone's actions. 
Isn't that what you want people to do for you? Because here's what I want you to do. I have a time uh, of in my life, and I'm still constantly on the evolution of getting better at it, of being uh, brass, of being harsh, of being too critical. Stop laughing on the front row, woman. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm always trying to get better at this. And I know that I have offended people in my life. Maybe one or two at most, but I'm sure of it. I'm sure I've probably offended somebody. And, and so sure enough, I guarantee you those people, depending on how they judge me, they had one or two ways of judging me. That guy's a real, real jerk, man. That guy's just mean. That guy's a, I have other descriptive words we shouldn't use at church, but I, I, that guy's a real, you fill in the blank. But what I really want people to do is, you know what? I, I, I bet he had a hard childhood. I bet he had a real critical dad. You know, maybe he just had a bad day. Maybe, maybe his wife made him mad. That happens all the time. Maybe. That's too good of an opportunity to pass up right there. Maybe something went bad at work today. Maybe things are going wrong with his kids. Maybe he was just, maybe he just woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. Maybe he's dealing with some things in his life. It's okay. It's not a big deal. I'm not going to take it that way. And that's what you and I all want people to do to us, isn't it? And all throughout life, we have these moments where we deal with social vampires. It could be somebody that cut us off in traffic. It could be somebody that, that was rude to us at, at, in the cashier's line. It could be somebody that was mean to us in, in, in a store or a restaurant. It could have been somebody that just hacked us off for whatever reason. And our normal sinful tendency is to make a snap judgment and say, wow, they're a blank. You fill it in. They're a this, she's a real that, he's a real this. And we make these snap judgments without really knowing full well what's going on. And what he, I, I, I promise you this, you we're going to make sense of this. It would be the best thing in your life, joy, and happiness if you learned to judge favorably. If you learned in every practical situation to step back and say, okay, look, I know that guy was just mean to me. And, and you know what? For some reason, we're, we're like Marvin Gaye said. We are all sensitive people. Aren't we? And all the people that, you know, every once in a while you come on, people, I'm not real sensitive. You, you're probably the most sensitive person. You're in denial. We are all sensitive people. I hate people that get upset. Well, I'm not sensitive. Whatever they say, it doesn't bother me. Yes, it does. I'm going to be honest. Criticism bothers me. I don't like it. Does anybody out there enjoy criticism? No, we're all sensitive people. And in those moments where somebody offends us or rubs us wrong or sucks the life out of us, we all want to get sensitive and out of our sensitivity make a snap judgment, don't we? Be mean, be mad, be angry. They deserve it. They're, a, again, a blank. You fill it in, whatever it is that they did to you. But the, the healthiest thing possible, now this doesn't work in every situation. When it comes to habitual abusers, there's a different answer. But in most social examples, we're dealing with quick moments, aren't we? We deal with one-time incidences. Sometimes people that offend us that we'll never see again the rest of our life. And how do we handle those situations? And I'm telling you the most practical thing that we can do to, to maintain and protect our joy and happiness is to just judge favorably. You know, I bet they didn't mean that. I, I, must, I bet I misunderstood what they were saying. I really didn't understand where they were coming from. I bet they had good intentions. I bet they had this. I wonder if this was going on in their life. And what we do is, is I, literally, the practical way to do it is you literally make three, four, five different excuses about why they could have been the jerk that they were. I'd say, you know, that's okay. And then we get to move on, and instead of having our joy and our peace taken from us, we get to maintain it and still be able to love the people that suck the life out of us. And it all starts when we actually begin to judge favorably. And you already do this. You only do it with people you like right now, though. 
Are y'all with me so far? You already do this to, to a certain degree. You already do this with some people. That's why you have certain friends and other people don't like them. And, and they, they say things like, wow, man, they're just, they're just real arrogant. Oh, no, they're not. They're just very confident. You're just giving them the benefit of the doubt, aren't you? I mean, you're just trying to hope that they're really not that bad. Because don't you have a friend like that? Everybody else sees something in them, the worst in them, and you just for some reason by God's design see the best in them and love them anyway, and their junk just doesn't bother you. But it bothers other people, and they're like, man, that guy's loud mouth. No, he's just bold. I really admire him. He's just so bold. What are you doing? You're judging favorably. You know what? We, we, we run into maybe a person that works at a certain store, and, and one of our friends is like, man, that guy was stupid. You know what? I, I just bet he lacked training. He probably just wasn't informed about the sale that was going on on those pretty shoes. I mean, you just... But so we all do this to a certain degree. What I'm telling you, the healthiest thing that you can do is, is recognize that you're sensitive. But recognize that in my sensitivity, I've got the opportunity to judge harshly, negatively, with a, with a flavor of condemnation on it. Or I have the ability to do what? To judge favorably and give them the benefit of the doubt. This right here would be the absolute healthiest thing for all of our lives. And many of you would become much happier people if you did it. Are you ready? Quick few thoughts on judging. Here we go. Number one is this. Is always be careful to judge actions, not intentions. Let me say that again. Always be careful to judge actions not intentions there is a difference between looking at what somebody does and, and calling it for what it is discerning it accurately if somebody did that treated you that way or did that call it what it is but there's also a difference between saying okay yeah that person lied to me oh they're just liars they just lie all the time they're now you're getting into slander now you're getting into name calling now you're getting into out of your own anger and bitterness now you're not only just judging their actions what you're judging their heart i know them i know them heart i know their heart they're evil. No, you don't. That little vampire in you too, chill out. Here's what James says. James is the half-brother of Jesus, the little brother of Jesus. He says this in James 4. He goes, brothers, do not slander one another again. We're not talking about discerning actions. Now we're talking about name-calling. We're talking about labeling people to put them down or to put them in their place. He goes, don't slander, folks. Anyone who speaks against his brother judges him and speaks against the law and judges it now that's confusing i'm going to explain it in a second he goes when you judge the law you're not keeping it you're just sitting in judgment on it now here's what this means it took me a minute i had to figure this out you know what i discovered about you and me is that if we grew up too religiously we grew up with a rules-based mentality instead of a grace-based mentality are you flowing with me so far and here's what christians do christians know what the rules are right outsiders not so much but we know what the rules are so you know what we do is we just sit on top of the rules and normally we only break two or three of them hopefully but then we look at everybody else that breaks like eight nine or ten of them and we say oh we're better than you i only break two or three but you break like nine or ten of them you're really bad and what we do is, is we sit in the judgment chair and we begin to determine what the rules were that really really important were which are the ones they broke and the rules that are not such a big deal which are usually the ones that we broke are y'all, it's quiet up in here today. Can, see, what we do when we get underneath rules-based system is, is we start judging everybody else for what they do, and we never actually look at the junk that we do. We are quick to label their sin as really, really bad. And yet we look at our own sin and we're like, you know what, but God, will, God knows, God understands. He knows what my mother was like. He knows who I have to live with. He knows what my husband's like. And we have all these excuses for what we do. We our rules that we break are much, much smaller. Does that 
ring a bell. And so James follows it up with verse 12 and says, there's only one lawgiver and only one judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, but you. James is the most blunt person in all of Scripture, just so you know. If you ever read the book of James, put your seatbelt on and take your sensitive pants off and, and you just get ready, he's going to fire at you. He goes, but you, who are you to judge? Your neighbor, meaning who are you to condemn your neighbor? Who are you to so harshly, critically slander your neighbor? Don't go there. You don't know the intent of their heart. You just know the action. So rather than trying to judge their heart, just discern what is and what isn't, what was right and what was wrong. Does that, can I get a good gospel amen out? Okay. I don't know if y'all are biting me or if y'all are feeling convicted. I don't know which one it is. Number two is this is be careful to judge because it darkens your heart. Be careful to judge because it darkens your heart. What you'll find true about every judgmental person is that they are overcritical, they're complainers, they're thin-skinned, and they breed gossip. Who wants to be that? Who wants that on their tombstone when they, you know, when they pass on? Who wants to be labeled or remembered or recognized as that? But I guarantee you the people who are so quick to judge, listen to me, you got, you got a small number of friends typically because you judged everybody else so much they don't want to hang out with you. Because again, it breeds a darkened heart. I'll prove it to you. I'm going to show you this real quick here. When, when I was a kid, I had a dad who was on the critical side. I've shared this before. And then, of course, I, I kind of picked up on some of that stuff. And I remember being a young kid who looked at my dad. And my dad was great in so many ways and a great provider and did a lot of great things. But one thing he had, he was just kind of hypercritical. He, he believed that, that um, constructive criticism was the best way to train a child. Which, by the way, all you dads, it's not. Please stop trying to lie to yourself about that. But he. But, but my dad was so critical, and I remember getting into my teen years and, and having low self-esteem and resenting my dad, having bitterness towards my dad because he treated me this way. And you know what I found is that the more I judged him, the more I became like him. Until by the time I get into college and I began to look at my closest relationships, you know what I've become? I've become the master of constructive criticism. I become the one who sat on all the rules and judged. I'm the one that sat in the place of being critical. Why? Because a judging heart will darken you. It will turn you into something that you won't want to be. And here's what I truly believe too. I believe the element of sowing and reaping is so much in effect here that the very judgment that you sowed, you will reap that exact same judgment back on yourself. So you're judging them for always being like that and being like this and whatever. I Watch that thing jump back up on you. I'm telling you, be careful. It is, put it this way, you don't want to be the one who's given the, the seat as judge and jury. You don't want that position. Let God have that one, the one true judge and graceful, benevolent, merciful, wise, all-knowing judge. Let him take that seat. Can I get an amen? Be careful to judge. You don't know their you don't know their heart. Be careful to judge. It'll, it'll bounce back and darken yours. Here's another one. Just be careful to judge because you don't know. You don't know. I remember being a young man. It was before I had my first child, and I'm hanging out with my buddy. He's one of my best friends in all the world, and I love him dearly to this day. His name's Marcus, and friend, mentor, and he has two beautiful little girls. And, and I remember when they were just tiny, um, I remember spending the night with him for a couple of days and hanging out with him, and I would watch Marcus as he tried to, like, get his youngest daughter to eat food. Now, if you got kids out there, how many know you find a weird kid in the bunch every once in a while that won't eat anything but, like, Cheez-Its and hot dogs? Mac and cheese and cereal. They got like two things. They're both unhealthy, and that's all they'll eat. Can I get an amen? You got, 
So, so I, you know, I'm watching my buddy Marcus sit there and deal with his, you know, probably five-year-old little daughter, and he's, like, begging with her and pleading with her and bribing her and trying everything he can to get his daughter to eat some real food. And I'm judging him. I'm fully aware. I'm judging him. And you know what in my mind I'm saying? Like, Psh, man, I will never do that when I'm a dad. Bump that, yo. I will, I will make her eat her vegetables. We, we ain't going to roll. I will spank her butt. I will wear that girl out until she eats broccoli and carrots. I don't even care. That ain't going to happen in my house. All rolling through my head as I watch these events unfold. Fast forward several years. Now, my first kid is, is the most amazing eater in the world. He eats stuff I won't eat. He eats stuff I refuse to eat. Um, I, there's a little kid, there's a vampire in me, and there's a little kid in me too uh, that doesn't like to eat certain foods. And so my, but my oldest son, he's great. And then all of a sudden, my second kid comes along, my little, my little lovely Elaney. She doesn't have the same palate of her older brother, does not have the same taste buds. And she doesn't like to eat a lot of stuff. And I remember sitting there with her one day, and I start kind of pleading with her. I start trying to bribe her. I start trying to trick her. And then it was as if God opened up the top of my head, dropped in the memory of several years ago and said, mm -hmm, you didn't know what you were talking about, did you? You thought you, you thought you knew what it was like to be a dad. Didn't know, as my daddy would say, you, no, I can't say that. Um, you don't know. You know, and so easy. I, I say this to young couples all the time. I'd be like, don't you dare judge them parents. Because I'll see some parents that got their kids that are just crazy. You know what I'm talking about? Them really crazy ones. And I'll see other, other young couples like judge them. But like, I know what you're doing. I know what's going inside of your head. Don't do it. Are you going to end up with a crazier kid? Just watch your. I'm telling you, you don't know. And some people, you know, going back to my dad and, 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 and being resentful for my dad, I didn't learn till years and years and years after the fact that he grew up with a dad who was incredibly critical, who was so emotionally detached and shut down from post-World War II and probably even post-traumatic stress disorder and different things. He had never spoken the words, I love you, to my dad. Never uttered the words, I love you, from father to son. And as I reflected back on that, I thought... I judged my dad so harshly and so critically, and I didn't know. I didn't know that in reality, my dad did better than his dad did for him. That my dad at least broke part of the negative cycle that was in play and overcame some of the stuff and some of the... I didn't realize that my dad absolutely did the best he could with what he had to work with, which may not have been a lot, emotionally speaking, and he did far beyond his capacity. And I repented, and I asked for forgiveness. And I changed the way that I thought and looked at my dad. And I began to love my dad to a greater degree. Why? Because I wasn't sitting in the seat of judgment trying to sit back thinking, I know. You ought to be like this. We ought to do this. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we grow as Christians and we learn more and we're expanding more. And sometimes that's so good for us personally, but it hurts us when it comes to our other relationships. Because now we're sitting back saying, well, why aren't you more like this? And why aren't you more like that? And why don't you get on board with this? And you don't realize that God has awakened your heart in such a unique way. And for whatever reason, that just hasn't happened in their life. And you sitting in the seat of judgment, do you actually think that's going to help them get there quicker? Let's take a poll real quick here. How many of you have ever known somebody just to outright pass judgment on you? Raise your hand real quick here. Somebody judged you and you, you yeah, okay, put your hand down. How many of you, uh, out of the hands that just went up, how many of you said that really made me a better person and wanted, you know, made me want to change and be? Exactly. 
When we sit in the seat of judgment, we are darkening our own heart and pushing them further away from the grace and goodness of God, which is what draws them to repentance. This is why the church has a bad rap, isn't it? Now, here's what's fascinating. If you go read the book of Corinthians, go read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you'll find something crazy that most Christians are completely unaware of that exists. I, I don't have time to read it, but, but here's the gist of it. You go read it on your own. I, this is backed up completely. Paul is talking to a group of Christians, and he's saying, why do you keep on judging all these unbelievers and outsiders? Why do you keep judging them? Stop it. The only person that a Christian should ever judge is other Christians. He goes, don't worry about what they're doing. He actually has this place where he says, if, if somebody is living in habitual sin over and over and over again, you need to distance yourself from them. And he goes, I'm not talking about people in the world. He even makes a joke here. I'm not talking about people in the world. If we, if, if, if we just stopped having lunch with them over everything they did, we'd never hang out with anybody. He said, I'm not talking about people in the world. Let God be their judge. The only person that you should judge is people inside of the circle when they are in habitual sin. Does that make sense? And sometimes as Christians, we start looking at the world and thinking, oh, they're evil and they're wrong and they're going to go to hell. And they're... Stop it. You're not their judge and jury. God says you shouldn't ever judge people who are outside of the faith. That's God's job. You don't want that job. The first and foremost thing that you should do is examine your own heart. Recognize that on the inside there's a little vampire in you that still needs to be dealt with. And only then can you begin to deal with the other bloodsuckers and life suckers around you. And it's only with that humility in your heart can you look at them and begin to judge favorably. There's a story I want to close with this. Um, Chuck Swindoll is a very, very well-known, famous author, pastor, preacher. Many of you probably heard his name. Written a number of different books. In one of his books, he tells this story about how he goes to a preaching conference. And he is there as the number one main guest speaker. He is preaching all week long. And in the beginning of the week, he meets this seemingly really, really sweet couple who comes up and says, oh, it's been our dream. Uh, you're our favorite pastor, and we just love hearing from you. We're so excited to be here. We're going to be here all week long. We're going to be in every session. And he's excited and feels great about it. But then as he preaches, after the first day, he notices that the guy is falling asleep in service. And then he just, you know, just brushes it off, doesn't think much about it. You know, maybe he didn't get enough sleep last night. The next day, he's sleeping in service again. The third day, he's sleeping in service again. On the fourth day, the wife comes to him separately and said, can I speak to you? And he goes, I just believed with all my heart that it was going to be like, yeah, my husband's just not real spiritual, and could you pray for him? And I was convinced it was going to be something like that. And this is what she said. The wife says, I just want you to know that my husband loves the Lord and that you're his favorite Bible teacher, and we, he wanted to be here to meet you and hear you no matter what. She goes on to describe that he has terminal cancer and only has weeks to live and is on such heavy medication, and the medication is what causes him to fall asleep. And so even his falling asleep, he feels embarrassed about it, but he so loves you and he wanted to be here. Chuck Swindoll's words were this. He goes, I had judged my brother, and I was as wrong as I could have possibly been. It's real easy to make snap judgments about people, especially in social settings and quick settings. I'm not talking about habitual abusers. We'll talk about that next week. The week after that, we'll talk about what do you do after you've actually been bitten. Here's, here's where I want you to be, though. I want you to be a person of the light. I want you to be a person of grace. I want you to be a person that as soon as somebody wrongs you, that you are 
even in your sensitive moment, you're able to judge favorably before you start throwing slander and accusation that you're not judging intentions. You're just being able to discern actions. That's okay to do. But we don't start in on hammering people, especially outsiders. We don't start hammering in on people because we don't know. We don't know what it's like to walk a day in their shoes. We don't know what it's like to have that family or to be in that marriage or to have those kids or to work in that. We don't know. And if we don't know, we should probably take a step back and try to give them the benefit of the doubt and begin to judge favorably. I'll leave you with this last thought when possible. It's not always. Sometimes there needs to be boundaries. Sometimes there needs to be distance. Sometimes you have to call the cops. Don't get me twisted. But when possible, you judge favorably by assuming the best about others. If not, even then, you judge mercifully since we are in need of mercy also. Let us pray. Father, as a people, as a church, as, as, as followers of you, Jesus, God, we want to be a little bit more like you. It's amazing. You know, I read your stories and I read what you did, what you said. I, I read an encounter where a, a young girl's thrown right in front of you who's caught in the act of adultery. and you, That's pretty easy to discern. And yet even in that moment, you can discern right from wrong and say, go and sin no more. But you can also, with, with judging favorably and extending grace towards people, say, I don't condemn you. And those are the two thoughts that we kind of hang this idea on is that I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. I'm not going to throw you under the bus, but let's be honest. Some things are right and some things are wrong. I'm going to extend grace to you, but yeah, I want you to change and to live right and to live wise and make right decisions and follow Jesus with all your heart. It's not, it's not throwing out right and wrong. It's not throwing out morality. But it's saying we do want to be the people of light and love and grace and peace. And extend that when at all possible. And even when it's not, God, we want to judge mercifully knowing that we also, we also stand in need of mercy. So today, God, we ask you for that. God, help us to know you. As we know you, God, help us to follow you. With our thoughts, with our actions, with our words, with how we treat other people, God. Let us always remember that that vampire, that person that sucked the life out of us, that person that offended us, God, that you died for them too. That you deemed them so valuable that you were willing to give up your son for them as well, God. That they too are made in the image and the likeness of my heavenly Father, God. Help that to always be on my heart and be on my mind and to judge favorably when at all possible, God. These are our prayers in Jesus' name. We pray that you'd help us to go and do it and live it, Lord. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thank you for listening to Jubilee Tri-Valley's podcast. For more information on Jubilee Tri-Valley Church, please visit us online at jtvchurch.org.